Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor, Jay Sharp-Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. Our first story this week was Hurricane Ida related in Louisiana. It dealt with 911 calls. Old technology left 911 calls unanswered in Louisiana after the hurricane. Um, even though the 911 system has undergone a major overhaul, the aging telephone system was replaced. Separate centers for medical, police, and fire calls were consolidated under one roof. And a new call routing technology to prevent communications from going down during a disaster was scheduled to be installed early next year. But then the hurricane hit, it failed, um, and the Washington Post said calls for help didn't go through. The center was offline for 13 hours after the hurricane hit. The uh, Orleans Parish Communicator District, which runs the dispatch center, had to use Facebook to tell people that they had an emergency. A spokesman said that our technology is antiquated and that the new system is expensive to explain the the downturn. Our next story uh, covers 5G speed and Jay Sharp Smith is gonna tell us about it. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, This is a a story that, that looks at the uh, aggregation of spectrum uh, into the uh, 5G networks. And in this case, it, uh, they used different amounts of 4G uh, spectrum uh, from 20 uh, megahertz blocks uh, to 40 megahertz uh, up to uh, 100 megahertz blocks of additional spectrum. And uh, the bottom line was, when it's open signal, I'm sorry, was the uh, the company behind this. When they added the the 4G spectrum uh, to the 5G system, uh, they saw speeds grow from about 50% up to uh, up to uh, 100%. Uh, every time they would add an additional 20% uh, or 20 20 megahertz or 40 megahertz block the speed just went up quite a lot. So I think uh, why they chose Italy, Germany, and uh, the United Kingdom, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, they all are uh, sort of basically case studies on different ways to do it. And it looks to me like, you know, looking at the, uh, at the numbers, um, when it, Germany had the, uh, the, the highest amount of, uh, of speed, they added 
see about 35 megahertz of spectrum and uh, they ended up with uh, with 197 uh, megabits per second speeds. The bottom line on, on this one is uh, if you want to get the uh, 5G speeds that we've, uh, we've all been promised, you need 4G. So the two are sort of inner, uh, they're, they're, they're basically joined at the hip for, for some time to the future. And John, you had an interview with BAI Communications. Uh, yes, thanks, Leslie. Yeah, BAI Communications uh, is an established player uh, in some applications. We know the company in this country under the name of Transit Wireless uh, that uh, provides uh, wireless communications for the New York Metropolitan Transit System. But I had an opportunity to interview their uh, group CEO, uh, Igor LaPrince, and uh, I got some interesting perspectives on two major deals that uh, they've recently announced and which Inside Towers has reported on. Uh, the first deal was um, uh, the BAI signed a major agreement with the Transport for London or TFL to provide wireless communications for the London subway system, uh, similar to what they've done in, in New York, in, in Toronto, in Hong Kong, and major cities around the world. And um, uh, right behind that, uh, the, the company acquired a Newport Beach, California-based uh, mobility uh, which is a prominent neutral host operator here in the U.S. Um, Mr. LaPrince had acknowledged that uh, both of these deals are important, especially the, the Transport for London deal, saying that London is still to this day probably the biggest, uh, one of the biggest cities in the world where you don't have such a transit wireless coverage. Uh, the deal uh, is a $1.4 billion 20-year concession contract uh, in which BAI will design, build, and implement a citywide integrated communications network that delivers multi-carrier cellular, Wi-Fi, and fiber connectivity. With BAI as the neutral host, the TFL network will be 4G, 5G ready for both fixed and mobile uh, operators and will help fast-track London as a smart city. <laughs> uh, the... Um, uh, BAI will provide a wireless coverage uh, for both 4G and 5G in the London's tubes, comprising about 170 stations and over 200 tunnels. Uh, running the cable in the tunnels is a real challenge, of course. The tunnels are not straight, and some of them are really old, <clears throat> with very limited space between the roof of the, uh, the uh, cars and the tunnel ceiling. Plus, the installation work can only be done uh, after, after midnight when a few trains are running. Above ground, the network incorporates roughly 100,000 streetscape assets. These are bus stops, light poles, small cell support structures for 5G coverage and capacity in a dense urban environment. And in future, the network will enable IoT smart city use cases and applications combining 5G small cells and fiber. In parallel, BAI will build and operate in the tube uh, the UK's emergency services network for police, ambulance, and fire. Um, um, you know, the Prince confirmed that uh, this project really combines all the aspects of what uh, BAI does uh, and uh, sets them up for uh, uh, some pretty big projects, not only in London, but in other cities around the world. Commenting on the BAI acquisition, uh, on the mobility acquisition, the uh, Prince said that uh, mobility aligns perfectly with the BAI's core business and vision for companies. Uh, mobility is a neutral host communication provider with towers 
and a small cell portfolio across 45 states and expertise in, its, in transit systems in Seattle and San Francisco. Uh, Le Prince concluded by saying BAI, uh, I'm sorry, mobility fits right into the core BAI transit communication pillar of their strategy. They also have large venues and uh, operate at scale across the U.S. So uh, with these two deals, <clears throat> BAI has set itself up to be a, a full service infrastructure provider, not only in uh, key countries, uh, but uh, really globally. And um, we look forward to, to hearing more about the, the company's progress. And Sharp, you had a story about uh, a new Samsung chip foundry. Yes, we got a report out from a Korean newspaper called the Korea Jung-Ung Daily that uh, the city of Taylor, Texas, which is uh, uh, about 17,001 people uh, strong, had won the competition to be the site of Samsung's new $17 billion chip factory. We followed up on that, that report with uh, Samsung Austin Semiconductor, and uh, they sent us a, a uh, prepared statement saying that no decision had been made yet. And the, the original report was uh, leaked out of uh, Samsung corporate. So it could still be true. Uh, if it is true, uh, the plant will uh, add 1,800 new jobs to uh, what is a very small town uh, just northeast of uh, Austin, which is the uh, location of Samsung's uh, current Texas facility that builds uh, semiconductors. The new facility would be about four times as large as the, uh, the current uh, semiconductor factory. The other cities that are involved are, are located in uh, Arizona, Texas, and, uh, and in Korea, uh, which is where uh, Samsung is located. There were mentions that it's the cheapest way uh, for, for Samsung to, to get the semiconductor factory uh, going is, would actually be to be loc locating themselves you know, where a previous facility would be, which, is, uh, which would be in Austin. Um, and uh, so that would bode well for, for Austin. Uh, there was also mentions that, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, last winter, uh, Texas got hit with that terrible freeze and uh, it knocked out power to the state for, uh, uh, for a time and uh, it cost Samsung $350 million. Uh, so uh, that, uh, that fact may be in the mix as to uh, uh, whether they even want to go to either Austin or Taylor. So bottom line is we don't know exactly where it's going to be yet, but the bottom line is semiconductor industry is uh, hustling hard to uh, to try to make up for the shortfall that is uh, currently uh, uh, hit the chip industry uh, globally and uh, with a 17 billion dollar uh, plant that will be located somewhere so it won't be here tomorrow but uh, it will be uh, it will be here relatively uh, relatively soon Thank you, Sharp. So Broadband Breakfast held a webinar Wednesday for a discussion on the importance of driving competition and innovation in the wireless ecosystem. Legato President and CEO Doug Smith was on the webinar and so was Competitive Carriers Association President and CEO Steve Barry. 
Doug Smith said his company is focused on spectrum we can use to build private networks for companies. Um, our vision is to bring the power of 5G commercial networks to 5G private networks by integrating satellite and terrestrial technology. He was asked how soon compatible smartphones would be ready. He said in the first half of next year, they'd begin to test technology and services. He referenced the 3G PP standard setting body's approval of Legato's technical spec to enable Legato, which used to be called LightSquared, to deploy 5G networks on L-band. Um, it aims to service enterprise customers in the transportation, agriculture, utilities, and energy sectors. The company also has authorization to deploy its system on C-band, CBRS, and 2.5 gigahertz. Steve Barry said when the company was called LightSquared, it had a wholesale model to partner with small carriers. And now its members can still partner with Legato, possibly for backhaul as they deploy broadband. And Legato had, um, there was controversy when the FCC approved Legato to use L-Band last year. Um, and there's still opposition um, to that service because Department of Defense and other national uh, security agencies say Legato system, even though there's more than a 20, it's like a 23 megahertz guard band, could interfere with GPS and some of their weapons are power are use GPS. So, and what the FCC did was say, if it's, if there is interference, Legato has to fix it. But the thing that they're saying is that's unworkable when you're talking about national security or defense, because when, a, when something misfires, you can't go back and complain, oh, there was interference and then fix it later. It's just ridiculous. So that's why there's still opposition. And asked about all this, Smith said, um, you know, we understand the value of GPS. GPS is so important to the nation and we don't want to take risks. And that's why they put in the 23 megahertz guard band, gave up some of their spectrum for that. He said they did a bunch of studies. They've solved the issue as evidenced by the five to nothing vote at the FCC last year. Of course, that was a different FCC. Um, I certainly don't like that we have this opposition. Some of this is competitive, he said. We are the first to announce that we're offering 5G-based satellite service using 3GPP technology for the air interface. And then uh, we had another story. Toward the end of the week, Lightbox, which is a real estate information and data platform, released what it's calling a nationwide internet connectivity map. It shows nearly 60 million people in this country don't have broadband access, and that's far higher than the 14 and a half million that the FCC estimates. The company created the map by connecting U.S. geographic data and a data set that attempts to capture internet connectivity based on about 2 billion Wi-Fi access points. The public light box map shows connectivity on a census block level, but the, the company says it can privately zoom in to look at specific addresses. And Lightbox is careful to say this isn't a definitive broadband availability map, rather it's a foundation. Um, 
combined with IPS data on broadband serviceable locations, Lightbox says it could produce a nationwide broadband, broadband connectivity map that would offer what it calls the most precise analysis of true accessibility. And Jim, that brings us to the end of the week when you had a 9-11 story. Uh, yes, thank you, Leslie. Yeah, I, I guess I think we close this week with a somber reflection on what happened 20 years ago on 9-11. And uh, we all know where we were and what we were doing. Uh, it, it had that, that kind of impact on all of us. Uh, I, I reached out to our readership to for, for any, any reflections on that and uh, got a really stirring uh, note back from uh, George Kerstetter, who's the National Solutions Engineer for Perfect Vision. And he said that every time this year, this September 11th causes a lot of emotions to come through and, and has so for the past two decades. Uh, Kerstetter was the operations manager at Verizon in upstate New York and wasn't there at the scene on that day uh, but one of his peers was. And uh, he was calling her at their office. She was attempting to clear up some issues with the employees workers comp case, you know, one of those mundane things that we all deal with day to day. And Kerstetter called her to check, check on her and how it was going with the comp case. He said, that's when she said the fire alarm was going off. She would need to call him back. And that was the last he ever spoke to her. The next day, he went down there to help with restoration efforts. And, and he said he will never forget the moment he was able to, to see the plume and got his first glimpse of the skyline that, that forever had, had been changed. Uh, he said he was full, full of emotion as he made his way through the Lincoln Tunnel and was shocked by the, the humvees posted on each corner with, with guns pointed at anyone uh, making the way to ground zero. Uh, he said the first day was a blur, pulling cables up from the side of their headquarters at 140 West Street, navigating all the tons of rubble and debris uh, that had fallen. And this was WTC7, was uh, World Trade Center 7 was where they had their, their headquarters. Um, and as we all know, that, that building also collapsed as well. Uh, he worked through the night he said, uh, and, and I'll, I'll just close with this quote from him because I can't really say any more than, than, than what he, he wrote here. But he said, one thing was clear. I have never known such silence as that when every piece of machinery would stop. Construction and first responder crews formed lines, removed hard hats, and watched as victims' remains were finally freed from the pile. As you tried to never make eye contact with the person across because the same thoughts raced through our minds. It never got easier or routine and it took 15 years for me to return. Thank you for listening to this edition of Inside Towers Week in Review. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.